Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning and welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Bruce Weiner, and today joining us is one of our associates, co Pickett, and we are happy to be here today, the day after the 4th of July. We're not sure when this, when you're listening to this uh, podcast, but we also want to announce that, announce that Rachel is not going to be with us for a few weeks because she just had her third baby, and uh, she is recovering nicely with the family, unlike three years ago with everybody who is a regular listener to this podcast. Uh, knew that she had a near-death experience with her second child, but everything, everybody's healthy. Everybody is in a really good position right now, and we want to thank you for listening today. Today, our our, our topic is uh, guaranteed cash flow, and here at the Money Advantage, we have been spending uh, close to six years now um, making money fun and doable for people. And for and to help help people understand the different aspects of money. And today we thought we'd dive into a topic that is actually becoming more and more popular. Um, even though there are a lot of people out there that think that uh, annuities are actually uh, not a very good um, financial product. And what's interesting about this is that uh, if we compare it to uh, something that's very similar to this, and that is a pension that you might get from an employer. It's funny that uh, there has been many, many surveys have been taken over the years where if you have a pension from your employer, uh, you feel a lot more secure and happy in your retirement year. So Cole, I know you're fairly um, new into the business, and you know you're just uh, going on your journey of understanding annuities, but before you got into the business, had, did you have any uh, knowledge of annuities, or what were your thought um, about annuities? Muted. Sorry about that. Yeah. So prior to getting into the business, really the only time I'd heard about annuities were from like lottery winners or someone with a big inheritance, they would just lump sum a big amount of money in and then they would get um, cash flow, you know, annually typically over a long period of time. I also associated them a lot with like retirement. Um, now, having learned a little bit, I've um, just kind of opened my perspective on how they can be used in retirement and how they can also be used for business owners and entrepreneurs to have some of that safer cash flow, um, especially in volatile times like we're we're experiencing now. Yeah, very good. So we're gonna. This is a little bit of a difficult topic to do in a podcast without some charts and graphs and so on and so forth. And once again, we welcome anybody's questions on this topic. Um, you may not think this topic is for you, and you may and you may disagree, and you think annuities are the worst possible place that you can put your money. And, and that is actually something we're going to talk about. There are pros and cons to annuities, and they are not for everybody. If you feel like they are not for you, that's fine. Uh, maybe you don't want to listen anymore, uh, but, but please keep your comments positive today as we talk about this uh, topic. So the first thing I'd like to talk about is what is annuity? And Cole kind of hit this uh, on the nail on the head on this is an annuity can take on many forms. Social security, for example, is an annuity type product where it's guaranteed coming in uh, income, guaranteed cash flow for the rest of your life. You could also uh, have a lottery winner who picks the annuity option. And the annuity option simply means that they're going to send the same amount of money to them uh, every year, or there's a contractual obligation to bump it up by 5%, a lot of annuities, uh, a lot of annuities are the same way. You could even consider private pensions as an annuity or government pensions as an annuity because you have guaranteed income coming in every year. What's interest, what is very interesting is I, we've, 
we've had Dr. Wade Fowl on the program several times. And Dr. Wade, as I've, I've mentioned on the show, I met several years ago. He is actually uh, works with an RIA in Dallas, um, or he did. I don't, I believe he may have left that position recently. But my point to saying that is he was basically an investment person. He was looking at investments, but through his research, he found out that not only having annuities can enhance your equity portfolio, your investment portfolio, but it can also enhance, enhance the uh, ha- happiness of how a person spends their retirement. And it's a, that is a very, very, very common point that people say about the pros of an annuity. The pros of the annuity are that the, the, you can sleep at night. So when a person talks about diversification in their equity portfolio, they are talking about diversification in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And you can actually think of the bond fund as being somewhat of guarantees. Now, when I say somewhat of guarantees, because the way bonds work, they actually... Uh, there's a contractual obligation between either the U.S. government or a corporation that they are going to pay you a certain percentage or what we call yield from that bond. And then when it matures or throughout whatever term it is, whether it's a five-year, a 10-year, 20-year, 15-year, all the way to 30 years, whatever the term is, uh, they will return your principal back to you. And when I say somewhat of a guarantee, because uh, the U.S. government cannot necessarily default on treasury bonds, but they they would have to then print more money and then actually dilute your money to or devalue your money. With a corporation, they could they could default on a bond. However, that's when you have to have, look at what is backing that particular bond. Is it a revenue? Is it, is it actual uh, collateralized by equipment? Uh, is it collateralized by real estate, so on and so forth? Well, with a an annuity from an insurance company, you know, I tell people this all the time. With our litigious society, in order to have what's called guaranteed income for the rest of your life, many many lawyers would have had to look at this, and and many precedents would have had to been set over the years for them to be able to use the word guaranteed. And so there's several different types of annuities. So let's just start there. The first type of annuity is simply uh, called a fixed annuity. So you purchase it and it has a fixed interest rate over a time period. And it can be renewed. But in this particular case, because it is a fixed interest rate and the insurance company is taking on all the responsibility of that fixed rate on your account balance. So example, you give them $100,000, they will give you 5.4% interest for a stated period of time. And that 5.4% interest is guaranteed by the insurance company to grow your $100,000 and then compound on the next year and the next year and the next year. And it will not change unless the contract says it can change under a certain period. In other words, they can say, this is good for five years. This is good for seven years. This is good for 10 years. But once the interest rate is set for that period, it is fixed. The next type is called a fixed index annuity. And with this particular annuity, it's becoming very, very popular right now because it is actually fixed to an index. The index could be several different indexes, but the most common one is the S&P 500 index. And what happens on these particular annuities is that the your return is guaranteed not to lose you money. So you have a floor of zero. And then if the S&P 500 actually is positive over a one-year period, from your anniversary date when you put the annuity in place to the next year's time period, if that S&P 500 index, if that's what you're tied to, but like I said, it's the most common one, is positive, they will give you either all, but in most cases, a percentage of that. There's some things that get really complicated in this, and 
people a lot of times say, I don't even want to do an annuity because they're too complex of an of a uh, product. Well, I can say the same thing about Coca-Cola stock. It's like, well, Coca-Cola's returns or their appreciation on their stock, return on their dividends or appreciation on their stock is very, very complicated how they're going to get that done also. You know, what is their marketing campaign? What is their campaign to keep fixed costs down in their company? What is their campaign to keep variable costs down in their company? It's very complex also. And so, yes, annuities have some complexity to them, but a good agent can actually talk you through those complexities. So here's one of the complexities. In order to not uh, have a downward spiral of your account balance with a fixed index annuity, they have to then limit your upside potential. Seems only fair, doesn't it, from an actuarial perspective? So if the S&P 500 actually goes down one year, uh, you, you don't lose any money. So then the next year it goes up, and oh, by the way, they reset the value at the lower value for the next year. So the, there is a greater possibility that it's going to be greater the next year. But they may cap it at, at 7% or 8% or 9%. In other words, if it goes to 20%, you're not going to capture all 20%. You're going to capture the cap. Now, those caps are reset every year. And that is an argument a lot of people say are bad for annuities. Excuse me. And that is a con for annuity. Your upside potential is not as great if you just put the money in the S&P 500. So I want to acknowledge that right away. The pro side of it is your downside potential is actually capped. And if you look at the research on this, if you eliminate the downside part of the uh, your, your portfolio and capture a portion of the upside, in most cases, you will come out ahead from, from the index. So that's something to consider. Now, with the fixed index annuity, you can also have a spread. And a spread means you actually have to have a hurdle to get over. In other words, the spread might be one and a half percent. So, the, so you actually only capture something after the first one and a half percent. So if the S&P 500 goes up one and a half percent, then you would not capture anything. If it goes up to 2% the next year, you wouldn't capture the first one and a half percent. You'd only capture a half a percent and so on and so forth. Then then there's participation rates. Participation rates are another way that the insurance company can hedge um, being able to make these guarantees. So a participation rate might be 60% of whatever the gain is on the S&P 500. So example, let's say the S&P 500 goes up 10% that year. Well, then you would participate in 60% of 10% or you would get 6% on your account balance. And that's how it, that's how it works. If it goes up 20%, you get 60% of 20% or 12%. So that those are the three main ways that annuity companies, which are insurance companies, actually on a fixed index annuity can actually provide you with some upside, but have complete downside protection. So a cap, a spread, and participation rate. And they can actually, they can actually combine uh two of those. So you can actually have a a cap with 60% participation or spread with 60%. And it could be 100%. In some cases, it actually, if you spread it out over two or three years, the crediting, in other words, you don't get credited after year one, they'll credit you after year two. So you don't get any increase in your account balance until after year two or after year three, they may actually award you 160% participation rate or a 180% participation rate over that three-year period. So that's another way, but that proves that the actuaries at the insurance company actually understand that the long-term benefits of holding an annuity is actually best for a client. Cole, do we have any questions coming in uh, on our social media platforms, or is there anything that you want to add right now? Uh, it doesn't appear like we have any questions yet. Um, Savannah mentioned she wanted one for guaranteed income, which is great. 
Um, I guess my only comment would be, like you mentioned, they are quite complex, especially whenever you get into the weeds of it. So how would mm -hmm. you as an advisor go about um, determining certain annuities and how one may be best over the other? Like, well, that's a great, yeah. yeah. That's a very good, good question. So let me finish the, the, uh, the third type of annuity and then we'll get into that question. Okay, the third type, the first two types of annuities can be sold by simply a insurance producer. All you need is an insurance license because they're purely insurance products. And you might say, now, wait a minute. You just said it was tied to an index. So that's an investment. But here's the catch. Even though it's tied to an index, your money isn't necessarily in the index. Your money's simply at the insurance company. They are crediting your account according to the index. The insurance company, by contract, can do whatever they want with the money. They can put it in real estate. They can put it into a derivative. They can put it into a bond. They can put it into equities. They can do whatever they want with it. So technically, it's not in the index. You're only getting your crediting from the index. And the actuaries then have taken precautionary things to make sure that is not that is best for the insurance company. And what's ever best for the insurance company, because you own a contract with the insurance company, is best for you. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just common sense. They are actually using options and hedging against the downfall of the particular uh, index. So they're, they're buying some put options going forward. So with a variable annuity though, you actually have to have a securities license to sell mutual funds because they are completely different than the fixed and the fixed index annuity where you cannot lose anything on your account balance. Think of the variable annuity being like having a brokerage account at an insurance company. And it then it does, but it also has a death benefit. That's why it can be called an annuity. Those particular annuities then are going to ride, that particular annuity would ride the ups and downs of the market. So it doesn't have any downside protection. Like I want, want to reiterate this it's like having a brokerage account at an annuity company. So that one, a lot of people say, well, I've seen the fees on that and they can be very expensive. Well, yes, I've seen the fees on that, and they can be one and a quarter percent, but it's no different than having your brokerage um, at some your brokerage account at some company and them charging you 1.25% to manage the fund. So I'm always amazed when a person says, hey, that's they have really high fees. Well, one of the reasons they have really high fees is mutual funds have really high fees. <laughs> okay, so if you believe in mutual funds in your equity portfolio, they have really high fees. So consider that as being a annuity that is like a brokerage account. The, the first two, the fixed and the fixed index annuities have no stated fees. Now I tell people all the time, you know, even though they don't have any fees coming out of your account, somebody's paying the fees. And what they're doing is they're, they're getting the fees from the participation rate being lowered, or they're getting it from the caps being lowered, so on and so forth. Uh, in order to provide these products, there has to be fees and incentive for the company to actually do business. All right. Now, really good question from Savannah. Um, when you add an income rider, okay, so we were just talking about protecting your account balance. But when you add an income rider, you can add it to a fixed index annuity or a variable annuity. When you add that, that does come with a fee. Now, think about it as being a fee to ensure the cash flow from your account for the rest of your life. You're insuring your money with a fee. Just like you insure your car, just like you insure your life, just like you insure your real estate. So you pay a fee to insure that particular product. You're going to pay a fee to insure that cash flow for the rest of your life. The fees are, in most part uh, cases, very reasonable. 
one or less than 1%. And a lot of people are like, well, I'm paying 1% on my equity portfolio to my advisor. And they can't guarantee that I'm going to have my money for cash flow in the future. Um, so I'm going to pay an insurance company a fee to guarantee my cash flow. So like I said, it usually it's a little less than 1%, 1% or a little less than 1%. What do you get for that? They will take your account balance and they will figure out actuarially how much they would pay you off that account balance. Right now, with interest rates rising, that can actually be, in for people in their 60s, can be as high as, seven. I've seen lately, 7.25%. Guaranteed off of your account balance for the rest of your life if you do what's called an immediate annuity, where you just give the insurance company a lump sum. They'll If you're in your 60s, they'll give you 7.25% for the rest of your life. So that's very appealing to people because they're like, hey, I was hoping to grow my portfolio by five or 6% and then live off that five or, five or 6%. Now, if an insurance company will give me 7.25% for the rest of my life guaranteed, then heck, I'm going to do that. Now, let's talk about the, the that's the pro. Let's talk about the con in this situation. Well, let's say you put the money in an annuity, they're going to actually have a surrender schedule. So it's not going to be completely liquid. That surrender schedule can be a five-year schedule, a seven-year schedule, a 10-year schedule, and in some cases, a 15-year schedule. Why have this surrender period? That surrender period means this. Let's use a 10-year. So let's say you put $100,000 into a annuity with an income rider and you say, I want this guaranteed 7.25% for the rest of my life. And once again, we'd have to talk to you to find out your exact amount for the rest of your life. I'm just using an example for a per person in retirement in their late 60s at 7.25%. Um, when you do that, what you can look at as far as the comparison to your equities, your equities could actually outperform 7.25% and grow your account balance. So your account balance could go from 100 in 10 years, double it to 200. Well, that would be, if you use the rule of 72, that would be a 7% return on your account balance. Where the, the, then you could say after 10 years, I'm going to start taking 5% and hope it doesn't run out. Where the annuity might only grow with the index may only grow an average of three, four. Heck, it could, there could be a situation where it doesn't grow at all. But even if it doesn't grow at all, you can still get the 7.25% guaranteed for the rest of your life. So that's the con. I understand that some people do not like this. They, they happen to be a little bit more risk takers and they want, to, they want to be able to change their money from here or there. So that's where the surrender schedule that we talked about actually comes into play. So let's say after one year of the 10-year surrender, you decide, I don't want to do this anymore. I didn't make any money this year. I want to take my money out of the annuity and put it somewhere else. Well, the annuity companies, in order to make a guarantee, have to know that they're going to have this money sticky or with them for a long period of time. So they put in writing, if you take it out after one year of a 10-year surrender, you have to pay, and I'm making this number up, but it's pretty common. You're going to have to pay anywhere between 10 and 12% of your portfolio that the, the annuity company, the insurance company gets to keep. So you're only going to be able to transfer 90% of that money out. Some people are livid about this. They're like, that's not fair. And I'm like, wait a minute. What do you mean it's not fair? First of all, they, they actually make you sign a piece of paper that shows you the surrender schedule and you know this before you put the money in. So to say it's not fair is, is wrong. 
You decided this. The second thing to, to understand is in order to make these guarantees, the annuity company has to know they're going to have this particular money for a long period of time. So that's why they have this. And then the next year, it might be 8%. The next year, it might be 8%. The next year, it might be 7 might be 7 The next year, it might be 5 And then it'll go 4, 3, 2, 1. And then after 10 years, you can move the money whatever to wherever you want. So Savannah actually talked about wanting it for guaranteed income. That's for an immediate annuity. So you just put the money in and immediately you start a cash flow. There's also what's called a deferred annuity. And what a deferred annuity is, and this is where it's going to get really complicated, Cole. So let's see if our listeners have any questions. With a deferred annuity, you're telling the company, I'm going to defer income to some time into the future. And in order to entice you to bring your money to that particular insurance company, they are going to incent you by giving you another uh, part of the contract, which are step-up credits. This is where it gets a little complicated and it's hard to do in a podcast, but I'm going to attempt this. So right now, most insurance companies with insurance, or excuse me, interest rates being higher are giving step-ups at about 7%. What does that mean? Your account balance might be 100,000 and you are tied to an index and your index does zero that next year. But as an incentive to keep the money with the insurance company, the insurance company says, we're going to have a separate accounting form as far as an income based. Your account balance stays at 100,000, but because you didn't take income, we're going to step it up by 7%. So now you have 107%, excuse me, $107,000 the next year to start your income on. And if you don't take it the next year, if it's a simple interest step up, they're going to say, guaranteed, we're going to calculate the interest on $114,000. Guaranteed, no matter what your account balance does. And if you don't take it that year, they're going to step it up again by 7% to $121,000, and so on and so forth. Now, if you decide you do not, after 10 years, that would be $70,000 or $170,000 they would calculate your annuity payments for the rest of your life. If you decide that I don't want to do this, I want to take my account balance, you can't take the 170,000 because that's for the income for life balance. You can only take whatever your account balance is after 10 years. At, at any time, if the account balance goes over the income balance, so let's say after year three, where it would be the income balance would be 121, 121,000. If your account balance actually grew to 125,000, the insurance company will reset the income balance to the highest part. So now they'll reset it to 125 and you'll get a 7% step up on 125 instead of 121. Very, very complicated to do over a podcast, but that is basically how it works. Now, the same thing works on a variable annuity. However, because the variable annuity account balance is tied to the equity markets and whatever mutual fund you're putting in into, you have the potential to actually outperform the 7% for the account balance, and thus it will reset at a higher for the income balance, uh, base. So that is something to consider. Although once again, it does have, tend to come with higher fees because they're constantly trading the mutual funds in and out in the portfolio. And they also will limit you on what particular things you can put your money into on the, on the account balance. Because if they're going to guarantee you money for the rest of your life, they want to make sure you're not taking too much risk because they have to they have to cover those guarantees. All right, Cole, I'm going to stop there. Is there anything else 
Yes, sir. We got a few questions um, coming in. The first one's from Fritz. Um, they ask, would you suggest someone use their cash value from the whole life um, policy to fund an annuity and then share any examples uh, you've done so before? Yeah, Fritz, this is a Fritz, this is a great question. This is, this happens all the time. It's called a cash balance plan. And they use this uh with defined benefits within uh private companies all the time, uh privately held companies. So they will they will fund uh cash whole life, and then when that particular person's ready to retire, they will actually access the cash value, put it into annuity. And then depending on, on how much you access and if you're going to continue to pay your premiums on your whole life, you're actually just kind of borrowing against the cash value, put it into the um, annuity and then get cash flowed for the rest of your life. And if it's structured properly, you may be able to uh, also do the um, get the dividends off of the whole life. Although a lot of times it's just simply surrendered so you can get the the most value out of the annuity. So great question, Fritz. Um, Savannah, thanks. Uh, you said you're not going to be able to listen the entire time. If you go to the uh, hello at the moneyadvantage.com, hello at the moneyadvantage.com, you can set up an appointment there and we could talk about this in more detail. Let me talk about the money, the money advantages uh, relationship and how we determine um, the annuities. First of all, we go to, we ask you to uh, tell us about your goals and aspirations. We collect as much data as possible as far as your assets and also uh, your cash flow needs, your liabilities into the future, your taxes, so on and so forth. This is needed to see if, if an annuity is actually good for you and your family. Um, there are some rules that the annuity companies have too, is they want to make sure you have enough liquid money so you do not incur a surrender charge. Believe it or not, the annuity companies don't want you to surrender. Even though, even though they get a portion of the annuity, they'd rather have the entire account balance in their portfolio to make money off of. So the annuity companies are not doing a surrender schedule to make money off of you. They're actually doing it to make them make it more sticky so they can provide better benefits to you going forward. So Savannah, hope the, hopefully we'll talk to you in the near future and hopefully you're finding uh, some good information about this podcast. So uh, let's talk about now a few things of why annuities. Well, Bruce, before we move on, there is one more question if you'd like to address that or maybe. Sure. We can so our no, friend, uh, Joe DeFazio, yes. he, he asked from LinkedIn, um, he wanted to know if you could touch on the benefits of mortality credits. And I don't know, maybe this is where you were going. No, but I actually, I, I appreciate Joe's question. I'd rather um, keep that out of this particular podcast because of the complexity of that and uh, continue about um, the psychological um, needs and we can talk about more mortality credits maybe at another one or with people individually. Okay, because um, I, I want to hit on this because I think it's very very important about the psychological benefits. So, uh, Cole, I believe you already put the podcast of Dr. Wade Fowl uh, in the chat box. Yep. And Dr. Wade um, wanted to make sure that people understand a couple of things. He says, who is covered by annuities? And there are a few uh, relevant terms to know about how annuities are structured. The contract owner is the one who buys and makes decisions about the annuity contract. I, can't, I cannot emphasize that enough. You need to educate yourself enough so that you feel good about your purchase. What I've found over my career is if a person really understands the annuity contract, once they make a decision to do it, they're very, very happy because now they can go to sleep at night. They know their money's going to be there and they know there's going to be an income stream. So the annuitant is the person who actually uh, has the contract. The contract owner is often, often the annuitant, 
but it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be the annuitant. The beneficiary is then anyone who's going to receive what's ever left in the contract going forward. So this brings up another thing about the emotional part of it. A lot of people are emotional about this because they have heard about single premium immediate annuities to where you just give a insurance company X amount of dollars, let's just use $100,000, and the insurance company says, okay, this money is now ours. We are going to pay you an income stream for the rest of your life, guaranteed no matter how long you live. However, if you do die very quickly, we get to keep the sum of money. This is what infuriates people. And most people think that this is how all annuities work. And I've been doing this since the 80s. I've never sold one of these annuities. Not that I wouldn't for the right person because people do purchase these. Now, why would a person do this? This is the emotional thing I wanted to finish the podcast with. The emotional reason why people would do this is for the certainty of this. The reason they wouldn't want to do it is because they were afraid that they would buy it, walk out of the insurance company's uh, uh, office building, and then get hit by a bus. <laughs> and nobody, nobody ever gets paid. The insurance company gets to keep the money. So these, but the in, in return, the insurance company says we would normally pay a 70-year-old 7.25%, but because we are going to keep, get to keep the account balance when you die, if there is any, we're going to pay you 9% or 10%. So see, you get a premium bonus on this situation. So once again, you know, I've often heard people say, oh, insurance companies are out there to screw people, so on and so forth. They pay people to incent them for the particular benefit that that person wants. So if that person wants more income stream guaranteed for the rest of their life, they can get more income stream guaranteed for the rest of their life. But in exchange, they got to give up control of the asset for whatever time period they have. If you just if you do a fixed index annuity and you want to um, pass along to your beneficiary anything that's left in the account balance, then you're going to get a lower guaranteed interest cash flow for the rest of your life. Because now when you die and if there's anything left in the um, account balance, it goes to the beneficiary. Now, I tell people all the time that let's just think about this for a second. Let's just think about this for a second. I mean, just use logic. The insurance company is really, really sure that in most cases, you're not going to run out of money in your account balance, or they wouldn't guarantee the income stream for the rest of their, your life. So there is most likely going to be an account balance. It's going to be less than what you put in in most cases, but there's going to be an account balance. This is why Dr. Wade Faust says that through his research, you should have an annuity that guarantees your basic living expenses for the rest of your life. When you do that, then he knows you're going to be giving up some of your account balance, but then he also talks about using whole life to actually re fill that particular account balance when you die. So now your beneficiaries have the account balance, but now they also have a leveraged, uh, a leveraged death benefit to refill that bucket again. Now, here's the kicker from Dr. Wade Fowles' research. When you do it like this, you have this guaranteed money. This is like your bond portfolio. What do the insurance companies use a lot? they use a lot of bonds. So now you're changing from letting your brokerage account actually do your fixed income, who they might be pretty good at it, but they're not as good as these lifelong insurance companies who, who actuarially and have the experience to make sure money doesn't run out. 
so you can re- replace your fixed account with annuities and whole life. What does that mean now? Instead of having a portfolio of 60-40 in your equity portfolio, you may now be able to run it at 80-20 or 90-10, or you may even make a a decision to have 100% of equities in your portfolio. Dr. Wadefowl actually ran uh, 50,000 Monte Carlo simulations, which are basically uh, simulations where you put money into an equity portfolio in different situations, and he, he ran them. And he found out that a person with an annuity, a whole life insurance contract, and an equity portfolio that was heavily, more heavily weighted on equities actually outperformed the 60-40 portfolio. So this is the emotional thing where you could say, I can have my cake and eat it too. I can actually have guarantees of income coming in so I can sleep at night. I can still bring, I can still pull income off of my equity portfolio, but now my equity portfolio can actually be in a position to actually get more appreciation because it's not being held back by the portion of the fixed income that normally would be 40, 30, 20% of your portfolio. So you have a potential then to actually outgrow what you would normally do in the equity portfolio. Cole, I have a couple of other uh, questions on YouTube. How does a deferred annuity compared with a LERP for supplemental retirement uh, purposes? And then the other one is, if the insurance company does not fulfill a particular percentage for a particular year, what are the remedies for uh, that particular uh, person? Well, first of all, let's let's talk about that one. Um, the insurance company would, by contract, has to fulfill that for that particular year. So that's that's not an issue. I think what you're saying, Fritz, is. What if an insurance company becomes insolvent? And I actually had this today to talk about. Um, if an insurance company, because people say all the time, well, how can they guarantee this? Well, they can guarantee it by a couple different ways. There's actually a state fund guarantee that they have to pay into to basically ensure that this happens. The second thing that happens is the life insurance industry itself takes care of each other. So in order for the life insurance industry not to get a bad rap, another insurance company will come in and buy those particular contracts at a much a deep discount. And normally you then you would not lose any of your benefits. Now people have asked me in the meetings, why would another life insurance contract take on that liability? First of all, they don't want to get a black eye. Second of all, most of the expenses of the contract were to put it into place. The actuarial expenses, the servicing of the contract at home office, the production of the contract, and the commission to the particular agent was paid long ago. So they don't have that expense up front. So uh, Fritz... As much as anything can be said, it's a guarantee because of the state's guaranteed association and the life insurance companies take care of each other and the conservative nature of life insurance. It's about as close to a guarantee uh, that we have in anything in life. Now, for the other question uh, by uh, Dale about LERPs, a LERP is a life insurance retirement plan. It's permanent life insurance policy that uses cash value component to help fund uh, retirement. Uh, this is this is a more to me. This is more of a marketing term than it is anything. Um, LERPs try to mimic the tax benefit of a Roth IRA. We we've actually done a podcast on this called "A Rich Man's Roth," meaning that you don't pay any you know uh, taxes on any withdrawals after age fifty nine and the the gains that you have during that period are tax deferred. So, you know, when you're looking at this for um, 
a lerp versus um, for sub versus an annuity. I believe that the lerp would actually be a good alternative because you are actually not going to pay the same type of taxes that you will for an annuity. However, the annuity has a higher potential for guaranteed lifetime payouts, um, a higher percentage. So that's just my opinion on that. Um, both of them would be a, a good alternative. All right, let's continue with our, Cole, are there any other questions? No other questions so far. Okay. Okay, let's, let's continue a little bit more about the, uh, the emotional aspect of this in our last few minutes here. So I think what people have to understand, especially younger people, I don't think annuities are necessarily good for a younger person. When I say younger, I'm talking about 25, 35, even 45, we're starting to get into a situation where we'd have to really make sure that the person understands the pros and cons of the annuity. Now, I'm not talking about a variable annuity. I'm talking about a, a fixed index annuity with a income rider on it. At any age, fixed, fixed annuities are good because you have a stated fixed account, just like maybe a money market account. However, it's stated and fixed for a certain period of time. A variable annuity might be a, something good for a younger person because once again, it's it's a ver it's a brokerage account with a death benefit. Uh, but what I'm actually talking about is um, just a regular index annuity with an income rider. And the reason I say that is most insurance companies will cap the step up at ten. Some of them go out to 20 years. So if you're looking for this to be part of your retirement plan, um, and, you, and we're just going to say that 65 is a normal retirement age, then maybe 55 is the first time you do it if it's a 10-year step up. If it's a 20-year step up, yeah, now we can actually um, look at age 45. I just saw Don Vu was asking, what age is the best to own an annuity? <laughs> That's what we're talking about right now, Don. Great, great question. And there are some insurance companies that are now making 20-year step-ups. What that means is that for the, for the income, no matter what your account balances do, they will continue stepping up for 20 years. Now, I tell people all the time, they're not doing this out of the kindness of their hearts, okay? What they're doing is it's a psychological thing. If you say, Okay, at age 60, I can start taking income off of it at X percent. At 60, right now, you can probably get about 5.75%. But at 61, you can actually get 6%. So uh, what happens psychologically, I've had this with my clients. They say, well, I could use the income right now, but if I don't take the income, the insurance company is automatically going to step up my account balance by 7% next year. So I'm going to wait another year. Well, what has, that, what, what has that accomplished for the insurance company? The insurance company now has shaved off one more year of guarantees payouts for the rest of their life. So it's good for the insurance company. And once again, whatever's good for the insurance company is also good for you. Because they are, they are actuarially trying to make sure that they can have these guarantees for the rest of your life. Okay, a couple of other. I'm glad we're getting all these uh, questions. Um, uh, Fritz says, for persons that don't know what annuity is, what would be the best layman explanation for an annuity? I think it's just basically you're you're taking a amount of cash. And you're giving it to a financial institution. And that financial institution, in most cases, is a insurance company. And, that, and in exchange, there's some contractual obligations. They're not necessarily contract, contracted to obli or obligated to contractually provide you with a guaranteed income for the rest of your life. One of the contractual obligations may be simply a stated interest rate. 
fixed in a fixed annuity. We're going to give you 5% for five years, guaranteed. Another one may be the fixed index annuity. We're going to guarantee that you're not going to lose any money. But we're also going to cap the upside percent percentage of an index. And then for the variable, they're going to say, hey, we're not going to make any guarantees on the variable side, but you are going to have a death benefit with this particular annuity. And then you could, you could add on, just like you go buy a car, you add on air conditioning. If, well, most of my listeners probably say, wait a minute, you could add on air conditioning? Well, I grew up in the 60s and 70s where you had to add air conditioning to your car. So I, maybe that's not a great example anymore. Um, you, you used to have to add power windows and power locks. You used to have to crank your, your, your window down and open and actually hit a lock and manually lock it. So maybe that's not a good example, but you can add different features onto the annuity. So thanks. And then Don finally said, what percentage of retirement portfolio? Oh, great question, Don. I was actually going to talk about this. Insurance companies in general will not let you put any more than about 50% of your liquid net worth into an annuity. And you might say, well, that's, that's weird. I'm a grown person. I can decide how much I put in there. But the insurance companies have learned over decades that people have situations where they need liquid money. So, Don, we'd have to, we'd have to sit down with you to see if it's 25% for you, 30%, 35%. But I'm telling you, insurance companies will not allow you to put more than about 50% of your liquid portfolio into that because you, you're going to need some liquidity. Um, okay, and then Don says, it's interesting that I just started to learn about annuities and you all start this so I, learn, so, so I can learn more. I've been doing whole life, but wanted to learn more about annuities. Guys, I am telling you that in my career, people with annuities just act differently with their money. And the reason we have this uh, idea that annuities are bad are the same reason we have this idea that whole life is bad. Because this, this is my opinion. The securities industry has made it their mission to actually talk badly about annuities our whole life because they would like you to keep more of your money in the market because they can make 1%, 1.2%, 1 1.5%, in some cases, 2% off your money, which by the way, from the financial advisor is money that comes into their account every month. Well, what, the, what does that sound like? That's an annuity. It's money that's coming in every month into their account. Now I'm a financial advisor. And I have money that comes in my account because I take care of my clients every month. But I also see the advantages of annuities in their platform. Fisher Investments, you probably have seen their magazine ads, their radio ads, their television ads. They actually go after annuities hard. They say, I hate annuities and so should you. Their whole hate is based upon the fact that you have the potential to make more money outside of an annuity, but I just said potential to make more money. That is why they hate annuities. They say, give us the money, we'll actually grow it by more than the annuity. So what I'm talking about the emotion part of it, Don, I'm so glad that you're actually looking at this as a portion of your retirement. If anybody tells you you should be all manage money, then you probably should run. If somebody tells you you should be all annuities, well, you can't even do that in today's environment. And if somebody tells you you should only be doing whole life or index universal life, you should run. What you need is a fiduciary that is actually looking after your best interest and help you decide. And listen to what I just said, help you decide how much you should have in your equity portfolio, how much you should have in your annuity portfolio, and how much you should have in your life insurance portfolio. 
Don says, I inherited a pension, so I understand a bit about the benefits of duty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Don. That was one of the things I was going to go after today is to talk about how pensions are an annuity type payment and they've, and they've actually gone away. So um, the private sector right now only has 4% of pensions that are offered to their employees, 4%. In the 80s, it's, it was 60%. I mean, that's a huge drop between now and the 80s. Why? There's some good. Once again, there's some good and there's some bad. If you go research, if you go research one of our podcasts with um, Ted Benna, who's considered the father of the 401k, he was actually a human resource person and discovered something in the tax code that would allow highly compensated employees to actually put money into a defined contribution plan, which is a 401k in addition to the pension. Ted Bennett never met for the 401k to replace the pension system. He meant for it to supplement the pension system of highly compensated employees. However, that was 1979. Corporations then jumped on this as a way to eliminate the pensions from their books. Now, that's not necessarily bad either, because the way the pensions work are what's called a defined benefit. You, ha you have a vesting period. You, you have to stay with the company five years or 10 years before you're even eligible for a future pension. So a person then might feel trapped at that particular, at that particular job because they don't, they don't want to lose their pension. So let's say it's a 10-year vesting period. They're there nine years and they get a better offer from somewhere else. They're like, oh, I can't take that offer because I'd lose out on my pension. That's why you don't see people that are in jobs very much, the same job and, and the same corporation or the same, same private entity for 30 years anymore because it, there's no reason to stay because you don't have a defined benefit that's defined by how much time you're there and how much your salary is. Now we have defined contributions, which is like your 401k, your 403b, your 457, the government entities that the tax entities that were put together by corporations. And they say, look how great this is. You get to control your money. You get to decide what you do, where you invested. And if you leave, you can take your money with you. So there's pros and cons of this. So the emotional part of it, of it is, would you like to try to get the pro side of a pension or what we call a private pension, where you take an annuity and make yourself an old private pension? The con of that is, is that now you have a 401k where you're actually have to take the risk in the market and you may not be comfortable with it. You may be more comfortable with the risk in the market, though, if you have guaranteed income coming in later on. All right, we're at the top of the hour. Thanks, everybody, for actually uh, contributing so much on this. This was great today. We, I think there's enough interest that we could actually do another podcast on this and po or perhaps a webinar, and we could actually bring some examples of this um, that we can actually look at. So, Cole, I don't think, do you have any closing comments or questions that you came up to? Okay, great. All right, so as always, we want to thank you. If you like the content, please subscribe, like, pass it on to different people. We are trying to do this from an educational platform, non-sensationalized, just giving you as much information as possible so that you can be the mature person to make the decisions. In closing, just remember that success leaves clues to follow the successful few and not the crowd and live a life and business that you love. Until next time, thanks for listening. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. 
go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.